We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader. Today, we are in the middle of discussing why digital products are a great thing to add to your physical product-based e-commerce business. So it's not either or, it's both and, as Tim Ferriss used to say in the 4-Hour Workweek. And if you can get your head around that, if you're willing to think both and this year in 2021 and beyond, I think it's going to serve you well. So we have already talked about a couple of really important things. If you missed the last episode, then do listen to part one. Today, we're going to be talking about two basic things. First of all, can this approach be done on Amazon and how? Really important if you're not a very Shopify-focused e-commerce operator, and I, I and most of my friends aren't yet, although we're working towards it, but it can is the answer. Let me give that away, but to find the specifics, you'll have to listen. And the second thing is how do digital products stack up against your general product selection or creation development criteria? In other words, when you decide to develop a new product line, what characteristics should that have and how does their digital product stack up against that so that's what's coming up hope you enjoy the show then that brings me to the other question which is okay if you're on shopify obviously you control the sort of path the upsell cross sell down sell path which is one of the reasons why you should you know consider having shopify magenta whatever as well as you know de-risking the amazon play but for those who are on amazon is that doable as well because i know you had one of your guests on your summit talking about kdp and my understanding superficially from the video which was really cool by the way lady called jenny hunt but that was that you could actually bundle a, a print-on-demand book, for example, so a digital product of a yes. particular kind on Amazon with a physical product. Is, is that your understanding as well? Yeah. I mean, if if you're just a hundred percent devotee to to Amazon and you say, look, I just I love Amazon. It's it's my marketplace I, I want to be on permanently. I don't want to hear about Shopify. I don't want to hear about anything else. Totally cool. You can still execute this same exact strategy on Amazon. You can create a, a KDP book, Kindle Direct Publishing, have it in the three modalities of KDP or of, of their system, which is a Kindle book, a paperback book, and an audio book through Audible. And then you can have those be bundled up with your product and you can cross sell and promote. You could have a, in your book, you could have a coupon code to your product. There's no, that's not a TOS violation on the, on the book side. And there's no reason you can't do those things. And as it happens, just so you know, the book system in Amazon for the advertising, the you know, the AMS services, advertising services, works exactly the same as it does for products. So you can create, you know, a ad campaign in support of your book and have your book be put in front of your ideal customers on Amazon. It's a complete guerrilla marketing tactic. Now you can't make it free. Yeah. Unless you use a hack, which is called a perma-free hack, which you can Google. But but nonetheless, just having it out there for $2.99 gives you a different vector of approach for yeah. your ideal customer. So That's yeah. so smart because what I really, really love this. And I'm I'm excited to try and, you know, either implement this self or or preferably because, you know, across the clients I've got, some of them work at a very big scale. You can implement mm-hmm. stuff at a reasonable, big enough scale to get a sort of generalizable truths from it, if you like, like one-off. I'm always wary of people have one-off successes in case that just happens to apply to them or their business or their market. But I really love this. I mean, the fact that 
so many people in the digital information or guru type, for want of a better word, marketing space, use the, the book funnel that, that Russell Brunson has made famous. And, and Rick Valentine, I know that you worked on that and I've been working on that in, in the sort of back room with the alternative of an ebook. And either which way, it's a digital product, but particularly an ebook is purely digital and therefore there, there's zero marginal cost and so you can offset the cost of your marketing so plus it's a very low barrier to entry which are two yeah. extremely simple basic things that people mm -hmm. struggle with so much on amazon and it means you don't have to make this upfront profit you can actually just spend money on advertising lose a tiny bit or break even of the book and then make all the profit on the the product it's such a simple idea exactly really like right. this. yeah exactly right so i guess that brings us to your the third attribute of digital products which we've mentioned before but there are many good attributes about it so tell us about that yeah the third idea here is that if you just evaluate your product options like, well, I could add a new thing. I, you know, I'm doing research. I can add a new widget to my list of widgets, which we all do. I mean, that's, that's in essence, the, the cornerstone of e-commerce selling is what, what are you offering? And is there demand for it? Then the, you, it begs the question, how does a digital good stack up? And so in my book, here it is. Uh, yeah, there you go. E-commerce power. Feel free to get a copy on Amazon. And if you've already gotten a copy, feel free to leave a review on Amazon. In my book on page 70, I made a list of the attributes of a good product. And so my third point is that a digital product is a really good product. So here's my list. I'll just, I'll just list it here. And I'll tell you the couple points in which digital products have weakness. But this is logic that would apply to your research related to any product that you might offer, whether it's physical or digital. And so, so here's the list. The first thing is a good product solves a problem for the customer. And it might be the simplest possible problem to solve in the world. And you know what they say is like, solve a simple problem that many, many people have, and you're going to be, you know, gazillionaire. I mean, the, the MyPillow guy comes to my mind so frequently now. Like, he's made a ginormous business, at least in the US, he's on TV all the time with a pillow. And it's like, who thought that was possible? Well, obviously he did. And he solves a problem because it actually is a really good pillow. And so you get the idea here, but it's got to solve a problem. And if your product doesn't solve a problem, then obviously it's not a good thing to do, but that's sort of self-evident. The second thing though, is an, a good product creates loyalty. There is no sense selling generics for the long term. Yeah. It might be a cash grab. Yeah. Maybe you make some money. M maybe you can operate a business that works with selling generics, but for the long term, you're going to want to create a, a loyalty based you know, market where you have a sub niche that you really lock into of people who would know, like, and trust you and your brand. And so a good product creates loyalty. And I would just say of these, the first two things, information products definitely solve a customer problem, which is they need information on something. And, and it also is a great way to bond with people. If you're, in fact, I would just say, if you're selling generics in a generics kind of space, one way to build loyalty would be to write a book about what you do and sell it to the people who care about that product. And just telling them your story, your, your big why or the reason why behind your, you know, your brand and your effort in a compelling way will be an act of brand building and, and bonding. And, and I so... I just yeah. want to mention on that as well, that if you think about an awful lot of stuff that's promoted by people who are sort of Instagram celebrities or whatever, 
they often sell pretty generic products or they sell products mm -hmm. are because I had one of the guys in the mastermind a while ago was selling products that were endorsed by somebody in exactly that situation. And they literally got a fairly, it was reasonably well-made, but fairly generic products in the hair care space or something yeah. like that. And they just branded it with this person's branding. And that was what gave the extra cash. So I just wanted to point out that although this is a much more humble version of it, the uh, emotional connection and the story and the brand that this person had, was pretty much 100% the difference in, in the value and the conversion rates between the generic thing that solved a problem and the thing that solved a problem and yeah. was associated with the person. And, and I don't know to what extent writing a book will enable you to differentiate yourself, but it's worth a try because there's zero marginal costs, I guess, right? It's It will work. I mean, it does yeah. work. I mean, it's tried and true. This, this is like basics. This does work to build your, your loyalty. If you write your story in compelling well, you will... You will catalyze people's imagination and energy and support of you. You just you'll your story will be embedded in their mind when they think about the product category. I mean, just just you know choosing product. So if you do it well, yeah, a hundred percent branding uh, potential there, even in a generics category. So the third reason that a, a digital product is a good product, but you know the, the third evaluation metric is is it sourceable? You know there are some categories in which sourcing is just a nightmare. It's like, I, I have customers who want to buy this. It takes me nine months to get it from you know, wherever it is. You know, the, the I don't know what, what it's, just, it's hard. This is, there's so many examples where that's true and there's limited quantity, limited supply, and therefore it makes it almost untenable, especially on Amazon where BSRs are so important. And if you go out of stock, you're immediately dinged in terms of your, ranking and you don't get that back easily and so you go in and out of stock on amazon we all know this that it's that's a problem and so the sourceability of your product even if you say to yourself oh I, i've got a source it's they're so excited to work with me it's exclusive yeah. well what if you sell ten thousand units of that sucker next month can they you know can they keep up type thing and it's a problem first great problem but it can be a problem you know and i want to just underscore that i, I don't think people are really have taken the supply side seriously enough because amazon's capacity for storing fulfilling stuff and the world's capacity of freight has generally been commensurate with or even more than necessary to to deal with the demand for products via digital mm -hmm. sales channels i.e e-commerce and suddenly that's not the case. I mean, stuff coming into the UK has just been a nightmare for everyone because you had Christmas meets COVID meets Brexit. And that is not going away in the UK. And that actually is still a problem in the US, I think. And it will be again. So the, the fact yeah. that you're moving, as they say, electrons move easier than atoms, right? So moving mm -hmm. physical goods is not going to get any easier. And that's that's a bit of a lodrier sort of thing because as e-commerce grows, it puts more strain on the existing mm -hmm. infrastructure. And so I think that's that's huge that even if you again, what you got you here won't necessarily get you there. Yeah. What was good for 2019 and before that isn't necessarily going to be defensible in 2021. You are going to get some products where a friend of mine was selling some products. They had, they thought, six months worth of stock and they sold out in two weeks, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. You got a huge spike in sales. They couldn't get back in stock for, I believe, seven months. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. And there's a lot of stories like that around. So yeah. I think you have to have some part of your business that is not vulnerable to that. So I can't, I can't stress enough how important that is. Yeah. So it, it's really, we described the challenge, but let's talk about how digital goods solve that problem in it for a moment. Yeah. Because this is a central thesis of digital goods. And that is that you might break it into a couple phases. One phase is the, of sourcing. One phase is the development of the product. Like, okay. You know, this garlic 
press is going to have, you know, titanium mixed in. And that's why it's better. And that'll take me, you know, six months to figure out with somebody, but that sounds cool. And so the, the development phase for digital goods is very similar to the development phase for physical goods. I mean, if you're going to make a new product, it's going to take you time and energy. That's true for both phases, 100%. So, and you know, some digital goods, if they're really your masterpiece or something like that, you know, your, your war and peace of garlic presses or whatever, then it could take you a year to write or, or make or whatever it is, you know? And so that's fair enough. But then you get to sell. And when you get to sell, the question is, how do you market it? And what's the value proposition for the long term? And that is where digital goods have what's called near zero marginal cost. And we all kind of know this, but the phrasing is important to think about. It costs you zero to replicate. Now, if it's a physical copy, like of a book or something like that, then you can get the author copy pricing and it maybe costs you a couple bucks. But if it's digital, pure digital, uh, then it costs you zero to replicate and it's always available. You'll never go out of stock on a Kindle book. And the merits of that are not to be overlooked, to, to your point. It, it can be, if done right, a real, real, real value proposition in your you know, business. And even if it's a smaller revenue amount, like a fraction, maybe your bestseller is a, this round numbers bestseller does you know, $10,000 a month and your digital book does $500 a month. Your bestseller has a lot of cost of goods, and then it will go in and out of stock, and it might have increasing competition over time. But your digital product never goes out of stock, has long-term value, near zero marginal cost, and gives you a different, unique way to stand out. So you get the idea there. So so the, the, th- the next thing I want to just mention is a question for pr- good products is, is it defensible? Meaning, is it easily knocked off? You know, do you pioneer something that looks amazing and then, you know, 45 people get the same exact thing figured out and manufactured and in the market space? And that happens remarkably fast for, for you know, physical products. In fact, uh, one of the challenges of physical products, particularly on Amazon, I would say is the training that everyone is taught to walk through is source a product, make it unique, read the reviews of your competitors and read the one-star reviews and find something, some unique angle, and then go to market, put it on Amazon and put money behind it to advertise it and get reviews and go, you know, go a whole hog into it. And by going whole hog into it, you alert yourself to every other competitor in that space and competitors that aren't even in that space. They were like, Hey, is there opportunity here to what you're doing? And, And it gives them an obvious on-ramp. This is not defensible very, you know, very easily. And, and digital books, digital goods, and there's, it's way more than books, by the way, we'll need to have a whole episode on that. But these digital types of products are defensible because they're not easily replicated. Now at a garbage level, they could be replicated, but at a quality level where they really mean something to people, they're very hard to replicate. So they are defensible. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And I just wanted to come in quickly on that. Even back in, you know, we're both fans of the four hour work week, even though yeah. everyone's bitched about the title forever, but there's a lot of wisdom there. One of the things Tim Ferriss said, basically, as, as I understood, is don't do what I did, <laughs> do what I'm doing now, which is to say, I, he could use some physical widget pills, which you could take for various things. And he said, there's a lot of hassle associated with that. Don't do that, but do digital goods because mm-hmm. products can be replicated within a week within China. It's absolutely 100% true. I've had it happen to me. I've had products which it turned out were 
replicated from other people's products. So my products were breaking intellectual property. There's all sorts of mess around that. Whereas um, the Chinese are, are not trained English uh, language if you're copying a book, for example, at the same level. And mm -hmm. copyright is in, in inherent in anything you produce, as I understand it. I'm mm -hmm. not a, an IP and lawyer, but it, it's fairly easily defensible. And you, you can't defend somebody from copying an idea, but you can defend the exact words in which you put it. And given that the engagement, and we talked about branding before, the engagement and the yeah. the impact and the reason people buy your product is not normally because it has revelatory ideas, because most ideas have been said before. There's nothing we're saying that's new, but it's it's the way you put it, your personality, all that stuff, the, the character mm -hmm. of, of the product. And that's yeah. hard to replicate. So I, I agree with that entirely. And again, super important point to to put if you put things halfway if you say that effectively if we want to put it this way that the packaging for your product assuming that you use a fairly generic box but it has wonderful graphic art on it mm -hmm. which is often the way for a private label type product effectively that is a digital product the reason that people will buy your product yeah. is because it looks better than everything else yeah. that's the digital essence uh, you know a thing that uh, is only printed last minute Mm -hmm. And yes, you have a marginal cost, but the value you're adding is really not about the physical widget. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about the way it looks. So it's kind of a digital element to it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, let me just list a few other items here for yeah. evaluation of a good product yeah. from uh, page 70 in my book here. And that is, and I'll rattle through these real quick, and then we can talk about them and and and, and go from there. The obvious thing about a digital product is it has high margin. And many, many, a barrier to entry for many product sellers is they're looking for products that have three times markup, five times markup. You know, it's always a debate. How much can you survive on? Well, if you sold a lot of volume and you only, you know, had, uh, you know, you know, two times markup, is that good enough? And the obvious truth with digital goods is that there's extremely high margin. And really, it's not zero, though. And so this is a little fallacy of digital goods, because one of the things people would say is like, oh, there's no there's no, you know, it's not it's near zero marginal cost for replicating. That's a technical point. But as an actual practice, what you have to do is say, how long did it take me to create this product? Now, if it took you, I don't know, let's just say 100 hours to write a how to guide or a manual or ebook or comparison guide and uh, you charge yourself $10 an hour, then you could say to yourself, the investment cost for that product was X amount. And that needs to be paid back. You know, I mean, you do have to say to yourself, I, I, I need to be made whole. And after I'm made whole, then that product has margin that is infinite. I mean, it's, 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 it's all, you know, net profit. And so that's the way to think about it because there are cases in which you might invest time and energy in a digital product and it never pays for itself. And you, and you need to be cognizant of that. You know, you, you can waste money in digital products. And so you want to think through that. Sherry asking the questions, how many pages should an ebook be? And it depends on how you're going to sell it. I think for Kindle on Amazon, most people expect a Kindle book to be somewhere, you know, in the, I would say, minimum pages, 50 maximum pages, like a normal print book for that you buy at Barnes and Noble is like 250. That's for a nonfiction, like written book. But many, many options exist that aren't like a traditional ebook, like a comparison guide that might just be a chart with you know, three pages. Here's how these products compare to each other. 
download it on my website. And so it depends on the mode mode of what you're creating. But technically on KDP, I think your ebook has to be like 20 pages minimum on, you know, to upload it to KDP. But they sort of assume that it's either a fiction book or a nonfiction book. They don't really deal in the, you know, charts or tables or comparison guides or how-to guides that are only, you know, six pages long or something like that. So it really depends on kind of what you're going for in terms of product. And I think we, Michael, we should probably do literally a whole show just on the, the types of digital goods that people could create. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's get back to your list though, because I list. think these are good things. Okay. So I'll finish up here. Are they purchased frequently is another question for you know product evaluation. And then the, the next one is, do they have high price points? And then do they have high switching costs? Now, I'm not sure a ebook works or a digital product works good for either of those. Uh, are they purchased frequently? Well, a how-to guide for how to make a koi pond in my backyard, I probably only need one time. So I'm not going to, you know, nobody's going to buy those that frequently. So you get the idea there. Do they have a high price point? No, probably not. I mean, unless it's like a amazing big thing, like a big conference or virtual summit or something like that, which, you know, is a, is a form of a digital product. But generally speaking, they'd be low price points. And do they have high switching costs? Mm, I don't know. Maybe not really. You know, if there's five how-to books on putting together a low-cost air conditioning system in your house, somebody would buy all those probably if they're trying to figure it out. So there's not switching costs. The only thing I'd say against that is is that that's probably true for most people, but there are, again, just to learn from the information marketing industry, which is kind of related and you kind of maybe you could call it a a type of e-commerce as I know you have a very broad definition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for those who are more, you know, Amazon focused or Shopify and physical products focused, if you became the authority in your niche on, for example, let's say you were in a niche where you sell products to the building trade, right, which is Mm -hmm. huge in America, DIY, whatever. DIY, particularly, for example, if you sell a particular kind of thing that, that deals with doing, you know, various plumbing issues, for example, I'm getting out of my death, but I've certainly got property and they've had plumbing issues and it's so expensive to hire somebody. I've been tempted myself, even though I'm so not Mr. DIY, to say I should learn to do this because I'm sick of spending a thousand bucks just to get some cowboy around to do a bad job. And so I, even I could be tempted. But if I really found that somebody was doing a course that they'd really developed their expertise and their positioning as an expert and in, in my mind, I might actually pay them several hundred bucks for a course. I mean, certainly that there are people who spend sure. several thousand mm-hmm. bucks on yeah how to make money on Amazon type courses, but there's no reason that it shouldn't be linked with how to make money as a plumber, how to train as a plumber, for example. And by the way, Mm -hmm. we sell all the physical widgets. We sell the training. I don't see much of it being done, but I do honestly think that that's not because it's not possible. So that it would be pricing power. And I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I do think that the the digital goods could potentially have pricing power, depending on how you position them. Sure. And the more technical they are, the more specialized, you're right. The, the higher perceived value they, they become you know, be certified in whatever. I don't know what it, you know, bonsai yeah. tree clipping or <laughs> yeah. construction plumbing. I mean, the more niche stuff might be a yeah. bit harder. Here's where I think people pay a lot of money for digital goods and that some of it would have an overlap with physical products and some not. Like if you're a, if you're a stock market trader, if you're a business coach, then you, you quite often will create a coach coaching that is several thousand dollars in some cases and people buy it and they make a lot of money that isn't linked with physical goods but something like plumbing for example is both a trade that you could learn that could give you an income Mm -hmm. and also very very linked to very specific Mm -hmm. physical products so that's an example where i think if you position yourself well you could actually make some good money from the physical products like a serious amount 
Which bleeds into the idea of how information marketers generally frame things, which is there is opportunity in health, in wealth, and what's the third, like relationships or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's generally true as well. Yeah, people will pay to learn how to make money and, and th- those kinds of ideas, sure, or how to be healthy, that kind of thing. But but yeah. I think the question in everyone's um, mind that's listening to this should be, how do I adapt these concepts to my existing product line, to my existing brand. Don't create something new. Don't go off on a rabbit trail. Don't go after you know some shiny object idea. Just ask the, yourself the question, is my current customer buying my current thing in need of related information of any variety yeah. that I could be the supplier of? And, and I think that's the kernel of the, the idea that can unlock new opportunities for e-commerce sellers. And by the way, talking about repeatability, I I think there's a wonderful overlap. For example, a lot of people sell things like vitamins or supplements, whatever, which is a famously tough market. But there's a nice subset of that that I've come across more than once with my clients in things like the pet health space. And that's an absolutely no-brainer space to, to be positioning yourself with a book or a course or both as the expert in this. And not only will you get that one time fee for the digital products. Uh, but you will potentially position yourself as the trusted authority and then people will pay a bit more on a subscription based or a very much repeat type customer. And there is a lot of people in that. So Beard Health is another one. Uh, beard Oil, <laughs> you know, several people who sell Beard Oils. I've, I looked into it myself, never never pressed the go button for it. Anything like that. Hair products. I mean, yeah. those are all things where repeat use products come up again and again and i do think that you're you're so right that again it's just not being done by people but it it could be it's very doable well we've made a huge case for doing it i realize we've listed zero technical how-to details in this conversation in terms of actually you know how to proceed so i think this begs a follow-up conversation where now that we've made the case for digital goods we really walk people through how therefore do you make them and what the details are someone asked in the uh, comments uh, what about compilation of blogs that is a tried and true way to make ebooks is you blog your your way to it many people do that many big big authors big people like famous new york times bestsellers they in essence do a system that's blogging their way into their new topics, then they'll pull it all together, refine it and make a book out of it. And that's a great way to do it. And if you blog your way to an ebook product, then obviously the blog content itself is digital marketing. And it's in its own right, something that you could advertise and promote that would be incredibly helpful. Content marketing is a tried and true way to you know generate you know traffic and visitors to your Shopify site. So we we're huge advocates of content marketing in general. And the logical extension of content marketing is creating a paid product out of your content. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And two wins in one go. So yeah. as you say, yes, we, we're going to have to dig into some of the details, like what are the next steps? And of course, the actual physical nature of the digital products. We haven't even really touched on that. We've mm-hmm. just assumed mm-hmm. ebooks as an, an easy go-to, but it's one of many. Mm-hmm. Okay, but let's pull this together. So can you summarize on three basic reasons why you should be adding digital products, your physical product business. Absolutely. I I think there are a couple of reasons. One, digital products solve a problem for you as the business owner. So they absolutely do. There are a lot of forms they can take and creating, so that's the second thing. And then the third thing is creating digital products is literally just like product creation in any other 
you know, form in a, in a physical form. It's a process of research, you know, ex- exploring options, putting something together of value and then launching it. And it's no different. It's just, it's not different than doing a physical product. It's just expanding your thinking to say, okay, the end result is going to be uh, digitally delivered, not a physically manufactured item. And I think if people grab onto those ideas, then they're really going to go on an exciting track forward to avoid the problems that we've talked about with Ladria and the TAM issues and that kind of thing. Nice. I love this. Well, look, if you like this topic, folks, and you're really going to be want to sure, be sure to snag a copy of Jason's latest book, um, the 15th book, I believe. He talks all about scaling an enormous e-commerce brand or even a small but wonderful brand, which is in e-commerce power. And obviously, I think it's your first book, Jason, where you've really pulled things together into the bigger picture, right? We talk big picture in the podcast, but your other books have been very sort of channel specific very tactically specific right so this is a really great sort of pulling together the bigger picture and uh, i'm a really big believer of macro to micro i think it's so important to get the bigger picture before you then dive into a particular part of it mindfully as opposed to the latest guys advertised at you on youtube and you started for a particularly random reason so it's a great place to start i've read it through myself and as you'd expect from Jason, it's, you know, clear, straightforward, feels very doable, which is a really nice thing. I have a bad habit of overcomplicating things when I talk to my clients sometimes. And you have a good way of simplifying things, which is great. So really great thing to put out there and, and definitely recommend it. Love it, man. Well, with that said, we're going to wrap it up here. As always, you can find more of our episodes on the ecommerceleader.com or on Apple podcast or whatever they call it now, or uh, Spotify, which is my tool of choice, Stitcher, whatever player you like, feel free to go back and listen to all our prior episodes. We have tried to categorize them and make them really, really appealing and engaging for e-commerce leaders. That's the whole point. We want to see you succeed in your uh, business and in your branding, in your selling efforts, and the podcast is just devoted to that singular topic. So thank you for listening with us today. Those of you that are watching live in our various groups and pages, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Great questions. And if you're watching by replay, then of course, we'd love to have you hit the like button on whatever tool it is that you're using or leave a review, however you can do that. It really helps the podcast grow and expand. And we want to reach more people who can grow their e-commerce businesses. So thanks so much for your support in that way. All right, Michael. Thanks, man. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.